Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk radio program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Our Reasonable Voice guest today is Susan Bro. Susan Bro is a good friend and is the mother of Heather Heyer and co-founder of the Heather Heyer Foundation. Heather was the 32-year-old who was fatally injured during the Charlottesville Unite the Right white supremacist rally when a driver, James Alex Fields Jr., rammed his car into the peaceful crowd of onlookers in August 2017. Since that tragic day, Susan Bro has become a nationally acclaimed speaker, working as an advocate and ally in anti-racism work through the Heather Heyer Foundation, being also actively involved with ongoing hate crime legislation work. I've invited Susan Bro to talk with us again today, in part because our new president has said that what happened in Charlottesville in August 2017 was the reason he decided to run for president. However, because Susan Bro's work continues through her Heather Heyer Foundation, we will of course be talking about civvy awards, scholarship applications, and something I didn't know a lot about until talking with Susan, the No Hate Act. So welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program, Susan Bro. How are you today? I'm fine. It's good to have you back. Things are going as well as can be expected for you? I think so. We weathered the pandemic. Uh, with the nonprofit, you always wonder the first two years how well you're going to make it and if you're going to survive. As restaurants often disappear after a year, nonprofits often disappear after two years. Mm. And we're now going into our fourth year. Excellent, which reminds me, it is the fourth annual Civi Awards and a record-breaking number of nominees. Tell us about the significance of so many nominees for the Civi Awards. Well, tell us what the Civi Awards are. I had not actually heard of the Civi Awards until they approached us and said, you are on the list. Uh (laughs) And I had to clarify, were they real and and who they were? So uh, according to their website, they... um, are a group saying we are the people showing up to improve America's working together across divisions to chart a better future. Yes. And when I saw the list, oh my goodness, I was so impressed that we were even nominated. I mean, they have categories for local activism, youth activism, national activism, and it, it's quite a list. Uh, we made honorable mention. Good. I'm, I'm very happy with that for the small little foundation that we are. So, yeah, that was a big surprise. Yeah, well, you know, I didn't know much about them either until I started to uh, look into them because I knew you were coming on the show, and I I did know that you had received an award. I'm fascinated by their mission statement, and because I know their mission statement, I'm not surprised that you received some recognition. You might be young and small as an organization, but you certainly are in line with what they are all about, and that is uh, supporting people like you and like the Heather Heyer 
foundation. So this national category, youth category, and local category, can you break that down? I mean, it sounds obvious, but I think they're making the distinction, first of all, between national and local says a lot about them. What do you think? Well, yeah, they are really looking across the country at a lot of people. I'm not sure what, I guess we would come under a national category mm-hmm. uh, under nominees. Uh, I certainly don't. Higher voices were it up and running as would have been our original plan would have been a youth category. And of course, local would have been doing a lot more work in Charlottesville. But my notion has always been that Charlottesville has a very strong activist community and really doesn't need much of my help. Mm. Well, but I think they appreciate you and they certainly are aware of you and support you. Yeah, they seem to, um, which always surprises me. (laughs) Like I say, they do pretty well without me. (laughs) Well, I understand you have a new board member. I do. Dr. Kelly Palmer has joined the board. Mike Mallory of the Ron Brown Scholars uh, decided he needed to focus more time and energy on family and on um, Ron Brown. And he had been on the board for two and a half years our uh, full term is anywhere from two to three years. Nobody else seems to want to leave right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> and that's okay, but I certainly understood when Mike was ready to go. And I had heard Dr. Palmer speak very powerfully and saw that uh, her speech was then posted in the medium, mm-hmm. um, the publication. And I happened to meet her later through a, a common friend, Allison Lenny. Mm-hmm. and then have had the pleasure of working with her as well through uh, Chasky Global had set us up on a speaking engagement and very honored to work with her. She gave me a large stack of books to read. Oh. <laughs> but when the opening on the board came up, I said, well, would you be interested? And then I presented her to the board, and the board voted unanimously and enthusiastically to mm-hmm. accept her. So. She just attended our first board meeting with us, and we're delighted to have her. You know, I think it's a great marriage. I'm glad to hear that that came about, because between what you are doing and what what she brings from her expertise to the table, I, I, think, it's, I think it's a great marriage. There's no other way of putting it. And she is uh, also local yes. to Charlottesville as well. Yes. So yes. that was a pretty fortuitous set of circumstances. Excellent. All right. Well, congratulations to her and to you and to the board, and we wish all of this to work extremely well for everyone involved. Um, I know we've talked about scholarships in the past that you give. Are the scholarship applications peaking or increasing, or are people still reaching out to you for those? Well, last fall we had decided that we needed to think, not last fall, two falls ago, actually, we decided we needed to think in terms of checking our diversity process. In process. Um, we had done that in the past, but we felt like it was time to officially revisit it. Mm-hmm. And remember, with, it was only our third year of scholarships. So I put together a committee with the help. Kelly actually was on that committee. That was huh. one of the first things I had when I first met her. And Griar Webb from UNC, Dr. Nicole Price of Kansas City, Missouri. Mm. Trying to remember who else was on the committee. But I had asked people to look at the processes that we had to make suggestions, to suggest edits to the process. And then in light of the pandemic, we decided to move the whole process online. We, at their recommendation, I made the changes something as simple as instead of saying we had winners we have recipients Mm. because we don't have losers Mm -hmm. we just have people who happen to receive as opposed to those who do not receive and that does not mean the others are losers I, i think some of those changes are significant we tried to make it more equitable for people to not have to print everything out and mail it in but to be able to complete the entire process online streamlined some of the questions, streamlined how the questions were presented. Being a pandemic year, we didn't have quite as many applicants, but we have a strong body of applicants. Mm. And I will be approaching my scoring people 
again this year to say, are you interested in helping out? Because we have the copies being proofread for the redactions already. We do a redacted process still where the scores do not know the gender, the ethnicity, nor the religious beliefs of mm -hmm. the people that they are scoring so that bias, implicit bias, is not uh, a factor. Mm -hmm. And so we're well in the process for the year. And uh, in our board meeting this year, we decided in the, in the, uh, the coming year, we're going to offer 10000 in scholarships rather than 8000 so I'm excited about that. Yes. Who Now, explain to us, I know you've told us this before, but uh, there may be new listeners, but in any case, tell us, what are you looking for in the applicants? In other words, your criteria. What we're looking for are people who have already shown themselves to be activists and positive social change, and particularly people who have perhaps either instigated their own social justice campaigns or they have participated uh, thoroughly in someone else's campaign and followed through. Absolutely has to be, though, when positive change has to be in uh, constructive change, not just protesting, but what are you doing to fix things. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're not trying to create activists. We're trying to support the education of activists. So um, I know we're going to give out 10000 uh, There's some discussion as to whether that means we'll give larger amounts to eight scholarships or whether we'll give out 10 $1,000 scholarships in the fall. But that's yet to be decided. So we're not a huge scholarship, but we do pay directly to the student once we have verified that they are in school and of course what being in school can change now with the pandemic people you know taking online classes may not have to buy all the curtains and bedspreads and those mm -hmm. kinds of things that were a necessity if you moved into a dorm but uh, there are always still expenses of course and when you say you want to educate the activists explain that for us a bit well, we're not educating them. We're supporting their education. Oh, I see. Okay. So we're supporting them either in uh, getting a degree or a professional certification in certain careers, and those are listed on the website. For example, a paralegal certification, a um, career in law or social work or social justice, education, those careers get one point of preference. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, it, we prefer those careers, but other careers are um, an option as well. But what is required is that there needs to be a clear record of activism of yes. a positive nature that, as you right. say, is not just protesting, but, uh, but doing something to, to realize what it is they're protesting for. Is that, is that a good way of putting it? Yes, I mean, protesting in and of itself is, is can be an essential part in, in uh, some forms of activism. I, I look for people who encourage nonviolent, positive change. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I set up the scoring rubrics, but I don't actually score the scholarships. Uh, Alfred Wilson and I both stay aside as tiebreakers mm -hmm. if needed, mm -hmm. but... Yeah, so we we have a lot to look at with these, but it's always exciting to see what people have been up to. It's always exciting to see how their project's going. We've given scholarships for anything from um, working with police to develop a positive community image and positive community service with the police to environmental justice to bringing people across divides together to talk to uh, LGBTQ activities, to immigrant assistance. I mean, it's just really been a broad range of possibilities that have come to us. Sounds like it. Do you have repeaters? In other words, does one just able to apply once, or if they are ongoing, can they return and apply a, a second time? Well, uh, the way we have had it set up the last since the beginning has been primarily for local high schools with one at-large 
and there have been specific high schools that have been interested in the past and then one at large for high school age and then one for an adult in college so as one may win as a youth scholar they could also apply for an adult in college i will say however that is our biggest competitive field (laughs) i see um I'd like to open that field up a little more, but we'll see. That's a board decision, not my decision. Gotcha. Well, it certainly has. uh, Anyone who's ever dealt with, let alone started a foundation, knows what a challenging thing it is to do, even in the easiest of personal situations. But to have taken this on, to let this be your response to the tragedy uh, forced upon you, is is still extremely impressive to me. I, I Every time we talk, even when we're not on the radio, when we just talk, I'm always impressed with how you, how you went through what you did and this is the result of it. And that you're always so focused on what is positive. And also, he once said to me, I don't know, forgive me, I'm sure I'll misquote you, but you'll remember, I'm not partisan or bipartisan. I'm no partisan. Was that is that close? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I may dislike an individual politician from time to time, but I I really vote by individual, not by party line. I never have voted by party line. But you have been before Congress, and we remember that I'm sure, and they listened. So that's that. They did. Yeah, exactly. That's not something everyone can accomplish. All right, Susan Bro, my dear friend, we're going to take a short break, and everyone stay with us. There's more to talk about. We're going to uh, maybe the word is broaden the conversation. I'm not certain that it is, though, (laughs) but we'll be right back. (laughs) It's still about activism. Stay with us with Susan Bro, our guest today. We'll be right back. For the Matthew Shepard Foundation and the Tectonic Theater Project, here now is the song, Love is Love, composed for the Erase Hate campaign by Andy Hollander and Dana Parrish. Love is Love, sung by Dana Parrish. We take the stage, erase the hate for you and for me. From Charlottesville to Laramie when freedom ain't free The hurt and the pain They both stay for so long Broken but stronger We fight to go on and on All I know is Love is love Watching the stars collide Shine that light Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, and my guest today, my reasonable voice today, is Susan Bro. Susan Bro has become a nationally acclaimed speaker, working as an advocate and ally in anti-racism work through the Heather Heyer Foundation, being also actively involved with ongoing hate crime legislation work. And speaking of hate crimes and biases. We have already been, of course, talking about the biases that exist and and how she avoids them in her very own foundation. But with COVID and not being equally distributed, and it always seems to be that the people who need our help the most, need our attention, need our listening and support and, you know, our advocacy, always end up being the last in line and not by choice. I know with COVID-19 um, that there is a history with African Americans with vaccines, and it's understandable that some, especially older African Americans, might be 
concerned about that, but we're just doing better, I think, with our new president, and that's the kind of thing that I'd like to marry our first segment with Susan Bro with his second segment, and that is, as I told Susan when I invited her, she is a person uniquely qualified and experienced to offer an opinion on the things I'm about to ask. So here we go. What do Wednesday, January 6, 2021, and Charlottesville, August 2017, how do they, it's it's kind of flippant to say, what do they have in common? I don't mean that exactly, Susan, but how do they impact you from your point of view as Susan Bro and all that you've gone through? Well, let me first state that I was not present August 12th. Uh, you have to remember I was hanging out with my best friend, not really paying attention. So what I learned, I learned after the fact by watching videos, watching various news media, watching all sorts of sources. But what I saw when I was paying attention on January 6th looked very similar. Mm. And I will tell you that I shook with anger. Mm. I, I, My husband and I have been watching the events that day and I ended up shaking with rage for about 12 hours watching TV Mm. finally cut it off around 2 in the morning and just went to bed you know and not only watch the events of the day but also watch the playbacks and the discussion and uh, it was hard to walk away from it but it felt very familiar and it felt inevitable and I was as much angry at authorities not listening and not believing and not paying attention to so many of us who had been in Charlottesville who had said this is going to happen again if you don't stop it now Mm. and it didn't have to happen that's what really made me mad it was not inevitable in the sense that it couldn't have been stopped it was inevitable in the sense that the path was set upon and, and not deviated from it, it just didn't have to happen. And I had justified the fact that it didn't have to happen to foreign press who had come to me and said, oh, don't you think this is going to be violent? And I said, it doesn't have to be because there are more Americans in the middle who are interested in finding out what they have in common mm. if they can get past that initial mistrust. But there are more of us in the middle than there are on the fringes. Yeah. and. So this is not going to have to happen. It's up to Americans to choose. And the fact that so many Americans did choose to push it just made me very angry. I was also upset that the authorities had not listened. I don't know the ins and outs of of the Justice Department. I don't know what their processes are. But I know that several of us have been sending warnings and information to them for months and a report was issued the day before on January the 5th mm-hmm. and that was a bit late so from here I think we have to have some accountability otherwise I think we're saying it's okay I'm already dismayed at what I'm seeing some of the courts do I'm already dismayed I see a lot of white privilege at play mm. a friend of mine pointed out today that you cannot be black and get a ticket for jaywalking and get as much leniency in court as some of these people are getting in court already. Yes. It's very frustrating to watch. You know, I've, uh, I've always had, I, I grew up in a very mixed racially uh, neighborhood. I think maybe, I, I don't know that we had Asians there, but we Jews and, and African-Americans and Hispanics and Italians, of course. We were all sort of together, and that's all we ever knew, really, because it didn't, it, it just, it was just natural. It was every day. It was who you played with. And I just wonder, I want to ask, make certain you're alluding to this. There are a number of state courts that have actually let people who were involved in January 6th riot uh, go home. Just as oh, they, yeah. yeah, just as they were able to walk away from the Capitol without being stopped. So I take your point because it's a very valid one, and I'm confessing because 
I bring up the point of my childhood because many of the African-Americans that I've known since childhood and in adulthood, one of the first things they will say to me when something happens is they couch it in that's happening because they're black. And I've always been one to say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's see, let's check this out. That's, that's not necessarily the first thing. But I have to tell you, as I've told many of them many times since, it, it, there is no denying. There's just no denying when you look at these things that people, and you don't even have to go to the extremes of police shooting people and strangling them and, you know, knee on the back of George Floyd's neck, but slamming a 16-year-old on the floor and knocking her unconscious. There are just too many things. So it's a valid point. I'm sorry, it just took me to that place. But I, I, I wondered something else I, I think I've heard you say recently. And I've wrote about this a lot. We, we like to say united we stand in the United States of America. And of course, we keep saying, you know, that we're better and, you know, and different and superior in so many ways. And I don't know how many things have to happen before we go, well, maybe we're not so superior. Maybe we need to look at ourselves more. But my question is, with the possible exception of World War II, was America ever really united? And is unity, for that matter, really required for democracy to succeed, or at least to function? What, what do you think? I think no and no. Yes. <laughs> I'm reading a book. Let me first say, I'm normally a speed reader, and this book I cannot speed read through. Mm. I normally will not write in a book because, having been a teacher, we just teach kids not to do not that. To do that yes. This book I have written all over the place, highlighted, underlined, starred. It's Democracy in Black, mm. and it's by Eddie S. and G-L-A-U-D-E, Jr. Okay. And the title of the book again? Democracy in Black. Yes. So tell us what impact it's having on you. Clearly, you if you can't yes, speed read it, it's something. one of the chief impacts. You know how you, you look at the world through different tinted glasses? Yes, yes. I look at the world through the impact of this book now. Hmm. And it talks about the value gap. Hmm. And the value gap is constantly maintained no matter what white America does to move the black community forward. They always only move it so far forward so that there is always a gap between white and black. Mm. Mm -hmm. At first, I was like, really? But then as he explains it and you stop and think about it, it's quite clear he's absolutely correct. And so I'm curious, watching the new administration coming in, Will the changes made be able to close that gap or will they maintain that gap? Because it's a habit we do as white people. Mm. We help just so much and then we stop. Or we offer symbolic help and then we stop. You really have to re-examine. I mean, Bobby Kennedy went through that. You know, his bodyguards were big black football players and they would tell him things because he would ask but he just couldn't believe it until they took him to neighborhoods and places and pointed out stuff and that changed his life he made it very clear it is so often right in front of us yes my my friend kathy and i went to walmart i guess it's been about a year ago and we weren't really paying attention the two of us together we just talk mm -hmm. and um the ladies in front of us were stopped and their bags were checked. They were Hispanic mm -hmm. and checked against their receipt. So we walk up to the guy, hand him our receipt, open our bag, and he goes, no, you're okay. Oh, my God. And we thought, well, that's weird. And it didn't occur to us until later hearing black friends talk about this is done to them all the time. Gee. But this is common practice. So I actually put a post about it on Facebook and said, how often does this happen to my friends in other parts of the country? Mm. Well, white women began to tell black women, oh, you just need to stand your ground and call law enforcement. And black women went off and said, absolutely not. That could get us exactly. shot. That exactly. could get us put in jail, all sorts of things. They don't dare protest and mm. make a scene the way a white woman could. We, yeah. we still deal with a huge difference in how people in society are treated. And while it certainly is 
huge amounts of racial issue. There's a gender gap, there's a religious gap, but mostly it is a racial thing involving African Americans, Hispanic Americans, you know, it's definitely there. I wonder if President Biden, who I trust, he's a good man, he wasn't my first choice, but hey, he certainly is doing a lot better already, but President Obama came in and and put a lot of faith in the patriotism and the human kindness, if you will, of the, the Republican leadership at the time, and, the, and that didn't go so well for him. Is President Biden doing the same thing, counting on the patriotism, the human kindness of the current Republican Party leadership? What do you think? And is and if it I don't is, know. I don't know. I know he's optimistic. I'm not sure he is completely blind. I mean, he dealt with that for eight years as the vice president. Yes. And, of course, he did time in the Senate, yes. where I'm sure some of his viewpoints have changed since he was in the Senate. Yes, yes. I, I'm waiting to see, honestly. But I think that January 6th definitely opened a lot of our eyes to thought processes. Mm-hmm. A two-party system is not necessarily ever going to be a healthy system, though. It's always going to pit one side against the other. Yes. Maybe we need to think about ranked voting like they do in a, a lot of other countries. The way our funding laws are set up for a two-party system precludes any system except the two parties really being able to take in campaign donations. And I was not aware that that was stacked against people trying to run for office. Yes. I wondered something I definitely want to talk about before we have to go. On, on June 27, 2019, a half a dozen or so U.S. senators co-sponsored and introduced the Jabara Hire No Hate Act. I mentioned it in yes. our, our introduction, but I would like to talk about that. And here's what got my attention about it, besides the fact of your daughter's name attached to it, but to create a national opposition to hate, assault, and threats to equality. Now, why do we need, and by that I mean, don't we already have a national opposition to hate, assault, and threats to equality? And you and I both know the answer is no. But when I saw that, just in print, I thought, don't we have a national opposition to these things? But we don't. Explain to us, Susan, those of us who think we do because we don't. Okay, so really there's two things happening here. One, no, we actually don't. Hate crime laws don't even exist in some places, Mm. or they're interpreted in such a way that they cannot very easily be used in court. For example, when Lieutenant Richard Collins was murdered, Mm -hmm. it could not be tried as a hate crime in Maryland at that time because the way the hate crime law read was that had to be the main intent of the murder yes and so that law has been changed after the fact when richard bird was murdered in texas dragged behind the truck there wasn't even a hate crime law that existed at that time Mm. in texas Mm -hmm. and that later became the james f bird matthew shepherd hate crime act thanks to the tenacity of james bird's mother insisting that matthew shepherd be added to that. Yes. And that took many years. So now the other thing is that the Jabara Hire No Hate Act, the name is misleading and the name was chosen by politicians because it's they like shorthand. <laughs> but it's actually should be called a counting hate crime act. What was discovered by the Arab American Institute was that Khalid Jabara's murder, which happened to be on August twelfth, twenty sixteen mm-hmm. in Tulsa, Oklahoma was a very nationally publicized hate crime that was tried as a hate crime, one as a hate crime, and it was discovered that that statistic did not make it into the FBI database for that year for hate crimes. Then they said, well, what other nationally known hate crimes have been tried lately? Did they make it in? And they discovered that Heather's murder in 2017 on August 12th Mm. also was not put into the FBI statistics. So it was presented to legislators. It was a bicameral, in other words, both houses, House and Senate, 
Republicans and the Democrats both sponsored the bill mm-hmm. to streamline the processes of reporting hate crime, to incentivize the process, to offer training. I told them don't mandate something without funding it, and other people must have told them that too because I don't think they funded it just because I said so. But <laughs> <laughs> they offer funding as well, and trying to get those hate crimes statistics to be accurate because one division of the Department of Justice compared to another division of the same Department of Justice had a difference of something like 50,000, maybe even 500,000. I'm I'm not good with big numbers, to tell you the truth. Difference in the numbers of hate crimes reported. Hmm. So uh, obviously we don't even know exactly how many hate crimes have been reported. What we need is a way to streamline that. And I say that you don't take your child to the doctor and you sort of guess that their temperature is somewhere between 20 and 104 and that their blood pressure is somewhere between 15 and 200. You get an accurate measurement of what the symptoms are and then you can make an accurate diagnosis and prescription. And that's what we need for our country to be able to have any sort of reasonable understanding of hate crime, we at least need to start with some sort of reasonable numbers. Yes. Now, there's a variety of reasons that you're never going to get a complete accounting of hate crimes, but we can at least come a lot closer. And that, again, I, I mentioned this not at all to diminish the importance of racial hate crimes, but I want to stress, as you've referred to, with their sexual hate crimes. Uh, and gender hate crimes and workplace hate crimes and religious hate crimes and religious hate crimes and they are constant and they're going on but they're not always reported because as the black people who responded to your Facebook posting is they can't call in they can't complain because they're the ones I mean people calling people to the house calling the police and saying we have a problem a disturbance or whatever could you help us out he's off his medication and the guy gets shot to death it just keeps happening but this act is a great step in the right direction how active were you did you lobby for it or a little bit um, they had a me and the Jabara family both show up. James Bird's family and the Matthew Shepherd's family also mm. showed up to support and talk to Congress people. But then, of course, the pandemic hit that following spring. We had gone in late summer of, of 2019, and the following spring, the pandemic hit. And unfortunately, uh, several civil rights acts were rolled in along with the COVID relief package, which President Trump said he would not support that particular COVID relief bill because of all the other things rolled in with it. I understand that. I also understand that that's the way politicians operate. Yes. So we'll try again once several other things have taken place here. Hopefully we can get some of this done. But I understand with the pandemic and the economy, there are other priorities at the moment. Do you have a website that we can go and find out more information about the No Hate Act? I'm currently looking at the one with the Human Rights Campaign, which is hrc.org. And then you type in the Jabara, J-A-B-A-R-A, dash higher, and that should pull, pull it up. Excellent. And what about your website? Again, remind us, we do have to go, but I want people to be able to be in touch with you and find out more about what you're doing. Yes, and I really have to work on that website today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm behind on updating it. It's www.heatherheyerfoundation.com. Well, Susan, as always, it is an incredibly informative conversation with you. There are things I think I know you know, and then... I talk to you and I realize we need constantly to be reminded, I think, to listen so that we get information from people who can keep us on the right path. And if you're interested in anti-racism work, RISE in Waynesboro has excellent resources. That's where I learned about Democracy in Black. That's with Chanda McGuffin and Sharon Fitz in Waynesboro, Virginia. You really ought to talk to them at some point. Yeah, this democracy in black has really opened my eyes and gives me a whole new set of lenses to look through. Yes. 
I'm going to get a copy. And if you have any contact information for the Waynesboro people, uh, email it to me if you don't mind. I'd like to have them I on sure the show. I sure will. Okay. Thank you so much. Before we go, though, I, I know I always ask you this, but if you had to capsulize it, what is the thing you want us to take away from this conversation? Pay attention to what's going on in the news and administration and be aware of the difference between symbolic acts of anti-racism and actual acts of anti-racism. There is a difference. And we should find out what that difference is. All right. Yes, you're on your own there. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Susan. It's so great Thank to talk you. to you. You take care, all right? Wishing you, you the best right. always. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. And now from the Grammy-nominated band, Dozat Saint-Marie, featuring former guests and husband-wife duo, Matt Dozat and Heather Saint-Marie. On behalf of the American Cancer Society, the band, Dozat Saint-Marie, singing Common Ground.
Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Electoral College, Insurrection, Impeachment 2, Inauguration, Too Much? Russian snowballs thrown at Putin's uniforms for freedom fighter, thousands arrested, versus America's five dead by citizen insurrection at U.S. Capitol, walking away. 1787 Compromise. Neither Congress nor uninformed mobs, but an electoral college elects our POTUS. When congressional staff snatches from the jaws of a tyrant's defeat, our 46 paper electoral college victory ballots, before a trumped mob guts our oldest branch of government, severing ties with peaceful transition, hoping, Here's Donny! Reflecting on trumped senators, Patrick Henry might revise. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me unity, or give us 400,000 deaths by presidential failure. Too many chokeholds on American accountability to allow $15 minimum wage to essential workers. Too much Rand Paul intellectual imbalance for too self-absorbed Senate to relinquish too repetitive abuse of power. Too much joshing around, brandishing high fist aloft, enabling too far gone on cruise to treason. Too many faux patriots allowed to just walk on bye-bye, after too many blocked National Guard from aiding and abetting too few Capitol Police. Too little checks and balances on too much costumed buffoonery, too few remembering only peaceful assembly need apply. Too many electing Biden failing to feel the fear of too many maskless invaders. Too many confusing pipe bombs with ballots. Too minuscule knowledge of presidential pardon power relegating too foolish with the devil made me do it. Too little enabling for balance of power. Too much desertion for sacred honor parchment written by too many old white males bestowing too few freedom-deserving generations with too minute congressional equality and justice. Too little desire for amendments defending huge minorities against too much malice aforethought. So then who will pay the price for high crimes in the wake of he who, thinking himself the second coming, gave rise again to secession, confirming too often and too long we have been too little united? What if unity is meant to be too high a road for too many to travel without first shining a light for the too herd oriented who too willingly deny putting their own houses in order before attacking that chamber too often rented for too many services rendered? When will tight-fisted money-changers stop providing parlor-worshippers cover charges at the altar of a Wall Street of ill repute? Where are the proud boys and girls too wise to remain rooted in our historical self-imposed discontent? Why are Americans who believe in their divine right to be the right denying necessary stewardship of a raped planet Earth, over-consuming to diminish all life upon it? How can we by example exude a recaptured civics oasis of genuine all-inclusive patriotism dedicated to a collective civic duty peacefully transforming supreme citizens united of economic elitists to a conglomerate of united citizenry ever-evolving in constitutional awareness, lifting all to their higher ground of solid rock, finally becoming a city of light, knowing the glow from that fire can truly light the world. Yet in a mind set by a nation of people so mesmerized by personal devices, indoctrinated by the redundancy of scrolling talking heads, inundated by myths of past glories, indoctrinated with education half-truths, missing the half has never been told, hoodwinked by religious hypocrites who believe faith blesses only those genuflecting before the street's CEOs. Can any nation so conceived and so dedicated long endure? Maybe greatness comes from unity that nourishes individual exceptionalism. Perhaps our new normal can purge past mistakes by a present that refuses to repeat them for future generations. If an elbow bump reserves, a mask protects, and social distancing defends, what couldn't we do together to eradicate our history replete with whipping posts, emotional scars, mental health neglect, domestic rape, 
foreign pillage, and save love thy neighbor as thyself from white supremacist mob rule. Bullies don't pardon their pawns. They take their money for fraudulent conspiracies, then sacrifice them. Only a traitor could think that makes America great, and only those indoctrinated as some Europeans were in the 1930s would fight for it. It takes a village to enable the unethical to blow out America's soul, because there are corporate-induced shortages created to profit off families and small businesses during COVID-19, always follow the money. The greater danger to America is not the herd mentality that pummeled us into facing existential issues we've ignored, but those we've elected to occupy our attacked Capitol building who have been siphoning off our exceptionalism for decades, sacrificing our country and their constituents to the demagogues of party politics. To be a United States of America requires internalizing and living one simple truth. The rising tide of women, gays, Native Americans, Latinx, African Americans, and immigrants also lifts all those European descendants who have forgotten who built their boats that keep them afloat. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.